In this week's show, we're going to continue our series on performance equals profit. This is part three. Welcome to Cracking the Code, the show that helps you overcome the challenges you face every day in contracting and keeps you on the cutting edge of emerging trends and best practices. Welcome to the audio version of Cracking the Code. Now, this was originally a video show, so if you hear us talking about something related to an image or any other visual element, you can see what we're talking about by going over to egia.org show and see what we're doing there in Cracking the Code. Thanks for listening. Let's get started. In last week's show, we had Gary Ellis come in and talk about how important it is that the CSRs are in alignment with your brand promise. We want to make sure what they're doing is consistent with the promise uh, of the, the great experience that we're making our customers. Last week, he talked about steps one, two, and three. This week, we're going to have him back. He's going to discuss steps four and five of making sure we know that our CSRs are in alignment with our brand promise. So the other metrics that you're looking for, of course, are your customer satisfaction index. Some people will call this, in today's environment, a net promoter score. That's the fancy term today. Everybody's got to come up with a new term to write their book. Not naming any names. Net promoter score. Net promoter score says, people are telling me I'm really a good company, or they're telling me I'm not a good company. So we have a customer satisfaction index. If that index isn't 9.0 or better, we are responding to that. So I need you to have a benchmarking system in your business. So whatever product and service that you have, you need to deal with that. Role play, train. You're not going to change people's patterns nor their thinking until you actually train. Training is not necessarily about getting people you know, to develop skills right away. Yes, we do need to develop those skills. But first and foremost, it's getting them to respect the idea and understand that their thinking pattern about what good service is may have to adjust. You may have to create a blueprint for them that says this is what we're going to do as a perfect service call. This is our deliverable. We're going to put rubber gloves on when we're in the home. Well, yeah, but we don't have to do that. It's not necessary. Well, no, it's not necessary, but it's required meaning the homeowner believes that that's an important statement about you taking care of their property. Well, the thinking pattern at the technician level is, dude, you've lost your mind. I mean, nobody cares about that. Well, yeah, we said the same thing about surgical coverings, booties, you know, long ago. We said the same thing about parking the driveway, and then, you know, you're dripping transmission fluid and oil on the driveway, and then you drove away, and the customer, you know, calls back and goes, your guy dripped oil all over my driveway. Well, how did he do with the equipment? Oh, he fixed the equipment, but my driveway is in terrible shape now. What are you going to do about it? So the bottom line here is, is that it's not about what you think. It's about what the customer thinks. You're serving the customer. So your market research tells you these things beyond a shadow of a doubt. You can't ignore that. You also can't ignore the idea that your customer satisfaction is going to be driven based on their perceptions, not yours. Well, your training has to deal with the thinking pattern first and then the skills. So you're always dealing with making sure that people have the same thinking pattern, that the value structures are there, and that they understand then that that moves over into skills. So, good example. Uh, expressive, expressive social style, uh, which is me. I can finish people's sentences for them, and, and that's a terrible habit, by the way. Uh, from a listening skills point of view, it's one of the worst things that you can do. 
So your skill set is when you ask a question to train and role play, to learn to actually quiet your mind and shut up. And so one of the things that we teach in that process for the technician, and this also holds true, by the way, for customer service, is we use a note-taking system. The note-taking system screams, I'm listening to you, but the note-taking system is a trigger or a cue that basically says, stop talking, shut up, quiet your mind, and actually listen and engage to what the customer is saying to you. So the role play in the skill set is you've got to ask a question, and when they start talking, rather than you finishing their sentences, is to actually listen, engage, and take notes and write it down. And what that does is that's a process that's a skill development issue that then is part of the training and the role play side. You have to work that process. So many of my technicians were afraid to ask questions, so we had to teach them to ask questions. Some of the salespeople are expressive-expressive or expressive drivers, and they want to interrupt or they want to finish people's sentences. And so great process dictates that you understand what's going on, you understand the value of why you need to do it a particular way, and you execute the skill based on the training. So this is the fourth area that you need to deal with. And then the fifth area is you may need to bring in some third-party resources to do some of this. If you're like me, your time might be too valuable to do it, or you may not have the competency to do it. So you bring a third-party independent in. Uh, Brigham Dickinson is definitely one that we've used in the past. We've used lots of different resources, sales trainers, you know, communications, all kinds of different options. You know, obviously, you have the EGIA training curriculums, and so you've got classes that are out there regionally that are free because you're a member. You get to come. You get to bring your people to those workshops. So you have that third-party resource right here, right now, but you may decide to employ a specific third-party resource, even on the consulting level, just to say, here's the gaps and here's what you want to do. So this is how you do the implementation side of getting your customer experience and your brand experience moving forward. If you don't like these ideas, that's okay. I respect that. But I think what you're going to find is this has been, we've been doing this a long time, and this is grounded in the principles of figuring out what you need to do that's a deliverable that makes your price value relationship uh, at the best possible level. Let's go back into the studio. Okay, so the last discussion here is sort of how do I do it? And so I want you to set up your core philosophies, all right? So figure it out, define them, discuss that with your team. That 360 degree survey and research, bringing it back, uh, you know, you're going to get some spears and you're going to get some negative comments. Don't worry about it, you need that. You need to find out what's going on. You need to find out how to fix the problems, if there are problems. So take, take this, and number three is key. You need to build the one-page strategic plan. If you haven't gone through the company planning and leadership, uh, you really should have done that first and second, because that's really the cornerstone of how you build your overall business plan. This particular segment is, you know, hey, we need a one-page strategic plan. What I want you to do is I want you to have your values, your brand experience and the measurement processes that attach to that for each individual position in the company. And they need that one-page strategic plan. So the bottom line is Gary's got one right here. And I'll show you mine if you show me yours. Here we go. This is my one-page strategic plan for my company right here. This is the exact set of core values. The brand experience is there. These are the measurement processes and the work that we're performing in the training. And here are our red, green, and yellow areas that basically say, 
Green is we're above what our standard was supposed to be. Yellow, light green is we're a little bit above or on target. Yellow is we're right there, slightly below. And red is we suck, we need to, it's a crisis, we need to fix it. So every single idea that's benchmarked is established as it relates to the brand experience. So this entire one-page strategic plan is built for each employee. This is mine. So a technician has his, all right? A maintenance technician would have his. A customer service representative would have theirs. A dispatcher would have theirs. So every individual has a work plan that attaches to the support of the brand experience. So this is out on the website. And the development of that process comes through the company planning. And that's where number three comes in on that list. If you create that and then you don't have the blueprint to hand it to them and say, here's your work, this is what you need to do, this is your role description, and these are your measurements, you're going to be disconnected. You're going to be out of alignment. And so that's part of the execution. And then number four is metrics. We just talked about that. So we're measuring it. And so we're either bright green, light green, a little bit yellow, or red. And those are measurement processes with metrics. And then last but not least is you need to discuss and review not only your successes and your failures, daily huddles with your technician, daily huddles with your maintenance techs, your customer service and dispatchers are going to be in your weekly events. They're, they're welcome every day, but they are most definitely in at least once a week. I, mean, just, I don't care what business you're in, having a dialogue about success stories of, around customer service reinforces the values. It reinforces the reason we're doing it right. It reinforces and recognizes the individuals that are doing it right. You also got to talk about the failures. I mean, sometimes it's worth talking about what happened, why did it happen, how do we correct that? So it's okay to make mistakes, but you shouldn't be repeating those mistakes. So when you don't talk about it and you don't highlight your mistakes because you're worried about how people think about you as a leader or how you feel as a manager, what you're doing is you're giving, you're giving the opportunity for that to not be discussed and operationally dealt with, and that mistake will repeat itself again and again and again with different people. The idea of highlighting the error is not to highlight the individual, but to highlight the operating process that needs adjusted. When you do that, and you have that conversation, and you deal with it with the discuss, conclude options, commit, create, execute, adjust, when you follow that leadership paradigm, you will have a much stronger set of team members that are willing to be focused on the core values and the brand experience of customer service, great customer service. In last week's show, we had Gary Ellickson once again and talked about you know, making sure that our service technicians are not selling out of their own back pocket. We want to make sure that we change their mindset. And we had a big conversation last week about that change. This week, Gary's going to come back in and talk about the first three steps of what it takes to begin that change. Join us now, Mr. Gary Ellix. The B there is what we call the three Ds, and you should write these down. The first D is the desire to change. That's the desire for you to adjust whatever you're doing today as a habit in order to influence what you want tomorrow. You can't keep doing the same stuff that you're doing today and expect a different set of results. The cliche of that's the definition of insanity is true. So that is an important component. The desire to change is something that not, is not necessarily wired into people. You have to physically change what your habits are. And that's tough, but it's something that you can do. And I'll teach you exactly how to do that. The second D is the discipline. The discipline to physically do the work. You can't lose weight and keep eating 100 donuts in a day. It's not going to happen. 
So if you want to change the way your weight structure is set up, you're going to have to change your diet. There's a cliche that says in fitness, you know, abs are made in the kitchen, meaning that you can't outrun your fork. No matter what you do, you can't outrun your fork. You have to control your diet first. 80% of fitness is proper diet. 20% is what you do in the gym. So no matter what you do, the discipline to adjust what you're doing has to be a part of this discussion. So we have the desire to change and the discipline to do the work. And that's not easy to do. Most people say, oh, I want what I want, but I'm not willing to actually change, nor am I willing to actually do that. Oh, you want me to do that? No, I can't do that. So the third D is the dedication to your craft. Now, most of you are fantastic technicians. Most of you can fix you know, most anything. In fact, you've probably forgotten more how to fix than I have in my entire body. The thing about it is, it's not about whether or not you fix the machine. It's whether or not you learn how to fix the customer. So that's a skill set that we need to make sure that you learn, that we put in place. And so if you don't currently have that skill set, that's one of those desire to change, discipline to do it, and the dedication to your craft. So I'm going to give you a series of steps inside of this whole process where we're talking about. And it says, there's technique. That's where number three is. I can control what happens in life if I have the proper technique. You see the Olympics. These little Bulgarian guys that are about my height, they're probably quite a bit more physically muscular because they've spent enough time in the gym to build up those, those muscles. But they're basically 180-pound midgets, if you will. And what they're doing is they're lifting 500 kilograms, you know, sort of 700, 800 pounds, and they're deadlifting, and they're using clean and jerk, and they're using the proper technique. What they're doing is almost unfathomable. I can't even move the bar. So, but they're the same size, but what they've done is they've put the work in, they've put the discipline in to train their muscles, they've dieted correctly, and they've had a coach, plus they've videotaped themselves under specific conditions so that they see themselves and they understand the technique on how not only just to move the bar, but to lift that thing, clean and jerk it, put it up here, or press it over top of your head. Now, that sounds like a drastic example. What we're talking about is basically changing the structure of how you view your own life and whether or not you want to put together a personal prosperity plan or whether or not what I call the personal achievement plan. It's that individual platform for you sitting down and saying, hey, this is what I want out of life. This is what I'm interested in. Whatever that is, I have to put together a roadmap for success. And so I'm going to show you how to do that. I can't make you do it. You own the three Ds and you own your talent. What I can support you with is number three, the technique, most assuredly. You know, it's very important that we embrace change because if you don't like change, which can be difficult, you know, try extinction because that can sometimes be the result if we don't change. Change can be hard, but it can be done. One of the things we have to do is learn that the neural pathways in our brain can actually change. As these pathways change, our thinking patterns can change also. I want to share with you some information I read about years ago. It's a study that NASA did that talks about how we can change the neural pathways. So I think the real key to success in life is to figure out, you know, where am I? Where do I want to go? And what are the directions to get there? 
You know, the same is true for you. Where are you in your life with your money, your relationships, you know, your health? Where would you like to go? And then what are the directions to get there? The key then is to make those directions second nature. You got to make them a habit. Now, we've all heard the old wisdom that, you know, it takes about 25 or 30 days for something to become a habit. And I've always wondered, why is that? I've heard that since I was a kid, you know, 25 to 30 days for something to become a habit. Well, a couple of years ago, I read a fascinating story about a project, a research project that NASA did years ago. What they did is they took a group of astronauts and they wanted them to be prepared to operate their spacecraft from different perspectives. And one of those perspectives was upside down. They wanted the, the, the astronauts to be able to operate the spacecraft uh, if they got hit in the head or they were floating upside down or whatever. So what they did is they got a mock-up spacecraft and they put goggles on the astronauts. And the goggles were designed to invert their vision 180 degrees. So they literally were looking at all the controls of the spaceship you know, from an upside-down perspective. And they had to wear these goggles 24-7 for weeks and weeks and weeks and learn how to operate the spacecraft you know, with everything being upside down. Well, the crazy thing is, after about three and a half weeks, one of the astronauts goes to the researchers and says, hey, man, we got a, we got a problem here. My vision is corrected. It's, it straightened itself out. And they said, well, that's impossible. The goggles invert your vision. He goes, well, I mean, I, I got up today and my vision is completely, you know, back where it's supposed to be. Within a few days, every astronaut in the study experienced the same phenomenon. Their vision was corrected in about 25 to 30 days. And what the researchers finally discovered is that it takes the brain about 25 days to carve new neural pathways to correct the vision. Because listen, the body and the, and the mind, they already knew where gravity was, right? They weren't really in zero gravity. And it took the brain about three or four weeks to catch up with the new activity and to carve new neural pathways to correct the vision. So that's really important to remember as you figure out where you are, where you want to go, and the directions to get there. As you begin to implement those directions, understand it's going to take the brain a few weeks to catch up. It's going to take you 25 to 30 days for that new activity to become a habit. Last week we talked about how important it is to understand kind of the buying process, the decision-making process that your homeowner goes through. When you think about it, there's really three different types of customers. There's your value-based customer, there's your cheap customer, and today we're going to talk about that third type of customer, the undecided customer. The reality is homeowners buy on average a couple of HVAC systems in their lifetime. You sell them every day. The problem with that is it can be very you know, scary for them, uncertain, a lot of high risk for them in making this big decision, especially today where a new system costs fifteen dollars to $20,000, $25,000. So what I want to do is talk about the undecided person and what we have to do to make sure we get the undecided person to come over to the value proposition that we offer our customers. I want to talk to you about the undecided person because there are a lot of people out there that are kind of back and forth. In other words, this person's always buying value. They're going to buy the expensive car, expensive jeans, expensive shoes. This person is always buying cheap. They're going to buy cheap shoes, cheap car, cheap whatever, right? And then the undecided people sometimes go value and sometimes go cheap. They're the kind of person that we've all seen. They'll drive their Mercedes Benz to Walmart, right? Because they value their little German sports car. It's important to them. But when it comes to tennis shoes, they don't really care. So they'll go to Walmart and save a couple of bucks and buy a pair of cheap shoes, right? It just depends on the purchase. It depends on what's involved. It depends on their relationship with the salesperson. But this undecided person will sometimes go cheap and sometimes go value. But here's the amazing thing about the undecided consumer. They are really good customers. 
because they are trying to learn whether they should go cheap or value in this particular purchase. In other words, they will let you get through your presentation because they are trying to find out, is this the time I should go cheap or is this the time I should go value? And here's the amazing thing about these people. They may not know when you walk in, but by the time they leave, or by the time you leave, they will know this is a complex mechanical system. This is not like a refrigerator you just bring in and plug in. This is a complex mechanical system that requires the design and installation by experts. And so they're very, very prone when it comes to such a serious situation to go to the value side. You see what I'm saying? I mean, they are easily uh, uh, persuaded to see the light of going with the value provider, which is gonna be you, versus going with the cheap guy. And they're trying to learn. That's what I love about them too. They'll let you get through your presentation. They're not always trying to rush you because they're trying to make a decision, should I go value or should I go cheap? But again, we're talking about complex mechanical systems here. This is not child's play. We had a situation here in Colorado a few years ago uh, in a multi-million dollar home up in Aspen, Colorado, one of the ski areas here, that this, uh, this multi-million dollar house is built, brand spanking new. These people come in, to spend the night in it the very first night. It wasn't even their house. They had won a, a contest to win the first week to stay in this house, right? And they went in, they had this big party, ribbon cutting ceremony, and they went to bed, the family did. The next morning, husband and wife and two or three kids, nobody wakes up. The entire family uh, died as a result of carbon monoxide poisoning, as a result of a faulty termination on a condensating furnace. My point is this, this is serious business and these people will understand that if you will take the time to explain to them why this is an important purchase. This is not something they should go cheap. This is not like a pair of cheap tennis shoes. This is serious business that requires the work of experts. So understand, there's the value, there's the cheap, there's the undecided. And you don't want to be quick just to drop your price. Again, for this person, you don't have to. And for this person, you may not have to. You have to find out. Here's the thing. People are in way too big of hurries uh, to drop their prices. I see it all the time, not just in our industry, but in every industry. I remember a few years ago, I was down in the southern part of uh, Colorado and I was driving back home. It was about four or five in the afternoon and uh, we had our first big blizzard of the year was coming in. It was like in November or something like that. And I'm driving down the highway uh, trying to get home and my son calls me from college. And he says, Dad, he goes, I got to get snow tires uh, on this car. We've got this blizzard move uh, coming in. So I said, well, go to the tire store and call me when you get there. He goes to the tire store. He calls me when he gets there and puts me on the phone with the, you know, the tire store guy. And uh, the guy says to me, Mr. Long, I've got your son here. He needs some, some new tires. I said, yes, he needs snow tires on that car. I said, what I need to know from you is that he will not leave your you know, store without the new snow tires. I don't want him leaving here and driving in this snow and this ice you know, without good snow tires. The guy from the tire store says, Mr. Long, don't worry about it. If we gotta stay here till midnight, we're gonna make sure everybody here that's in line is gonna get their tires tonight. Now I'm a value-based consumer, so that's what I need to hear. Plus it's a pretty important decision, right? It's snow tires and it's my kid, so I wanna make the right decision. So once I was convinced they would do a good job, they would make sure he got his tires, I said, what are my options? Well, the guy gives me the traditional good, better, best. We got your cheap snow tires. We got your mid-range snow tires. And of course, we got your you know, really, really high-end uh, great snow tires. Again, I'm the value-based guy, so I'm like, give me the best you got. So he runs some numbers in his calculator. He comes up, it's like a thousand bucks for the snow tires, the guarantees, the warranties, and the, you know, the balance, and all that stuff, right? I buy the whole package as always, right? I mean, I'm a late, I'm so easy to sell to. So he gives me the number, this thousand bucks. 
And I said, hold on for a second. I reach in, I get my billfold out, I pull out my credit card. I got the phone in my ear, I'm driving, and I got the credit card in my, uh, in my fingers, right? Fixing to reading the number. But just before I go to read the number, there's a guy that was working for me sitting next to me. And he says to me, just before I read the credit card number, he said, ask the guy for a discount. I'm like, I don't care about a discount. I'm just trying to get some snow tires for my kid. He said, just ask him for a discount, see what he says, right? So instead of reading the guy the credit card number, all I said in the phone, this is all I said. I said, dude, that sounds a little steep. That's all I said. Dude, that sounds a little steep. Without uttering as much as one syllable, I hear the guy going with his calculator again. He comes back on the phone and he drops the price $200, 20% because I said, dude, that sounds a little steep, right? Now listen, on a set of snow tires, maybe you know a thousand bucks for snow tires, there's five or 600 bucks of gross margin. This dude drops the price 40% of the gross margin. That 200 bucks is 40% of the gross margin because I said, dude, that sounds a little steep. Now here's the crazy thing. This guy drops the price on a set of snow tires in the middle of a blizzard. It's pure insanity, right? So you have to be willing to probe a little bit. Don't drop the price too quickly. I mean, what do you suppose I would have said if the guy said, well, sir, I understand it may seem a little expensive, but you know, it's, we're going to be here till midnight tonight taking care of our customers. If you want to come back next summer when the weather's better, probably we can cut you a deal on some snow tires. What do you think I would have said? You know, 4127. I had the credit card in my hand. So you can't be in too big a hurry to drop the price. People do it all the time, but I'm going to show you how to kind of hold your mustard a little bit and probe and find out is this really a price objection, which is what this guy's going to have, or is this just, you know, asking out of the habit of asking from this guy or this guy, and that you don't have to drop the price for. So now I want you to think about this. Suppose everything you do is designed to go after this third, the value-based third, right? Everything you do in terms of the way you look, the way you act, the quality of your installations, the cleanliness of your trucks, everything is designed to go after the value-based consumer. And then you're able to demonstrate to about half of the undecideds that when it comes to HVAC systems, it's a really important time to go value and not to go cheap. You get half of these people, how much of the pie do you have? You got half the pie and you got the fat, juicy, high margin part of the pie, not the nasty, old, crusty, no fruit filling, no margin part of the pie, right? You have to be willing to say no to this guy, but we spend so much time trying to make this guy happy, which you can never do. You can never make this guy happy that we forget there's all this great business over here. And by the way, there's guys in this program that are not just getting half of this undecided, but they're getting like three quarters of the undecided. Their close rate 60, 62%. So they're getting all of the value-based consumers and a big chunk of the undecided. So this process will help you to get these two segments, the undecided and the value-based consumer, but you have to follow the process step by step. It's easy to do, but it's a little bit easier not to do. In other words, as easy as it is to go in and run a lead the way you should or a service call, it's a little bit easier to walk in and drop off a bid. So I'm going to show you this process step by step. You have to be willing to follow the process. So remember, there's value people, there's cheap people, and there's undecided. You have to go in, earn the business of the value-based consumer, earn as much of the undecided as you can, and you're going to get not only half the pie, but you're going to get the correct half, the fat margin part of the pie. Well, folks, that's our show this week. Keep in mind, we have to stay in alignment with that customer experience. We want to make sure that we have these you know, things we're trying to deliver in terms of experience. We have to make sure our people are in alignment with that. Also, make sure that you embrace change. 
It's critically important, right? It's part of the process. If you're not changing, you're not growing. And of course, keep in mind, the last thing is, oh, five, four. And of course, keep in mind, our job is to change the mind of the undecided customers and get them to come over to the value side of the equation. That's a wrap for this week. We look forward to seeing you soon here on Cracking the Code. Until then, bye-bye for now.